Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. You're listening to a Score North podcast right now. And if you're a business owner, so are your customers. In fact, I could be talking about your business right now, telling the tens of thousands of loyal fans about you and sending them to your business. Find out how you can partner with your favorite Score North podcast. Visit scorenorth.com now and enter keyword partner. Fill out the form and we'll get in touch with you quickly. Once Phil, Judd, Declan, or others start talking about your company, you'll be amazed at how many fans start showing up. So visit scorenorth.com now and enter keyword partner. Phil Mackey, Judd Zolgad. I like these guys, but sometimes they think they're too damn smart. Mackey and Judd. Dummies. Mm-hmm. On 1500 ESPN. Any sports show or hosts can make predictions, but these guys keep a record of theirs. Gentlemen, we are keeping score. Believing in their prognosticating abilities so much. Listen now as Phil, Judd, and Dave write that down. Write this down. Write it down. You like writing things down. All right. We got a guest predictor here. Judd is out. And so Myron Medcalf is making his first appearance in the Write That Down, I don't know, hot seat? Yeah. Is it a hot seat? Pretty hot. You well, put me on hot seat, really man. This is... I was, given Myron, I was giving Myron some of these, uh, some of the other predictions that are on the board. And it, as long as, basically, as long as you're able to quantify what the prediction is, with a res- like there has to be a result, right? Like one time I tried to predict that, but this is like three years ago now, that by the end of the year, Carl Anthony Towns will be the man. Yeah. On the Wolves. Well, like, he is, but you can't quantify that. So so that doesn't go. But if you were to say, like, Carl Anthony Towns is going to average 30 points per game or something, then it's an acceptable prediction. So we'll get to our predictions here in just a moment. But we are, as far as we can tell, the only sports radio show in the country that actually keeps track of our prediction batting averages with accountability sessions. And we have listener predictions, too. So if you want to go out on a limb and you want to put your name on a prediction, Email anytime during the week, Mackie and Judd at 1500ESPN.com, and, uh, and you two can be humiliated with the rest of us and our low batting averages. Let's start with Dave Harrigan, who predicted last week in his hunt for singles, let's be honest, that's <laughs> Gotta okay, get back on the board. that the Vikings will draft an offensive lineman with their next pick. Yeah! Which they did. We're going to give you a single for that one. Uh, you also predicted that with the Vikings not drafting Billy Price, that Judd will admit on the show he's sad to see the Billy Price puns go away. You tried to bait him into that one, and he tried, and he uh, he said he's actually happy to see them go. I think he's just playing a ruse. He's he's sad. He probably heard the prediction in the probably. hallway or something. Sure. Uh, I predicted Rick Spielman will say the Vikings' second round offensive lineman, which is this O'Neill kid, had a first round grade. <laughs> I couldn't find that anywhere. In fact, he's more of a project. So he did not say it was a first-round grade. That's shocking you didn't get that. (laughs) I figured he would say it. He's probably thinking it, though, right? (laughs) He's probably thinking it. Or at least can't believe he fell this far. It's unbelievable. Yeah. And uh, I don't know. I I, I searched around some articles, didn't see it, so I'm going to self-report that as incorrect. Uh, Listener predictions. Mark L. predicted, despite speculation and even Rick Spielman deviating from his norm of not telling us anything when it comes to trading back in the first round, the Vikings will keep pick number 30. Yeah. 
And in addition, will not take an offensive lineman in the first round. Yeah. A little solid little double there yeah, for, well uh, for Markel. And then, uh, let's see here. Dan C. predicted, oh my God, that the Twins will win seven of their next ten games, including a sweep of the Reds, who bludgeoned the Twins twice in yes. three games last weekend. I almost made that almost, it would have been a nearly identical prediction. I was going to wow. predict seven of ten. So Dan saved you from Ooh, a terrible prediction. He sure did. So with that, let's see here. Listeners are batting 250 on the season and slugging 500. So very Miguel Sano-like in those numbers. Uh, Dave, you're hitting 348 and slugging 609. Judd is hitting 283, slugging 585. I'm down to 226, last year's batting champion here, yeah. and uh, slugging 434. Our guest predictors are batting 286 and slugging 4. 55. Write this down. Write it down. You like writing things down. We'll go around the room. We'll go Dave, Myron, Phil, Dave, Myron, Phil. We'll each make, uh, in the end, three predictions. Then we'll get to our listener predictions. All right. right. Sounds good. I will right, we'll start with Dave here. I will kick this off uh, because of Rick Spielman's lack of attention to detail on the offensive line. Kirk Cousins will not start all 16 games wow. this year. Trevor Simeon, I assume, who will be the backup, will be the starter at least once. But I will simply say Kirk Cousins will not start at least one game due to injury in 2018. Wow, you've got Kirk Cousins getting maimed next season. Thanks, Rick. Write it down. You like writing things down. (laughs) Write this down. All right, Myron, fire away. Uh, The Minnesota Timberwolves with Butler healthy, and I think it improved Wiggins, will win exactly... 53 games. Wow. Next season. So this would be a home run if you nail it, because you're going exact on your prediction. Exactly 53 games. It's also the type of prediction that gets Judd in trouble all the time because he (laughs) tries to get way too cute. Correctly. Uh, I think, but I love it when the guest predictors come in, or the the listeners. Don't come in and square up for a bunt. Don't try to catch, don't try to beat the shift. No. Swing for the fences, baby. Always, always. So 53 games exactly. Write this down. All right. Uh, I'm going to go, let's go with this one here. Write this down. A Wolves prediction. I don't think this would be shocking to anyone. I'm going to go on the record with it. Derrick Rose will re-sign with the Timberwolves this offseason. So he, mm. I, my guess is he's going to explore to see if he can get a big payday somewhere else. And uh, and he's going to wind up getting like a large chunk of the mid-level exception with the Timberwolves. And maybe they find a way to trade for a 3 and D guy. But it just seems like the relationship between Tom Thibodeau and Derrick Rose, which really just... It nauseates me how much those guys reflect back to seven years ago in their minds. Uh, I think Derrick Rose is going to find a way to come back to the Timberwolves, even if it's just on like a one-year make-good kind of a deal. Write this down. Write it down. You like writing things down? Before the July 31st trade deadline, Brian Dozier will be traded by your Minnesota Twins. There it is. Wow. Yeah, that's going to have to, like, they're probably going to start in June, making phone calls on that if they don't turn this thing around. Start now. Start on maybe you know, give them give them the weekend. Give them the weekend. Start so, on May seventh or whatever Monday is. So just so just for the the wording, Dozier will be traded before the July thirty first trade deadline. Correct. Very simply. All right. Write this down. Write that down. I, I don't have a pencil. Well, remember that. Then. All right. Back to Myron. <laughs> Stephon Diggs will be one of two Pro Bowl wide receivers on the Minnesota Vikings roster next season. Wow. So it could be Thielen or it could be Kendall Wright. You're yes. just leaving it open. It's up to you know it's gonna be Thielen. Okay. Thielen. I think Thielen. I'm what gonna say one of ty- two. What if it's what if it's Diggs and Kyle Rudolph? Do you not want I'll the take point that. there? No, I want the point. Two two, two Diggs one two of two pass Pro catching. Bowl. Yes. 
Okay. I'm just trying to help you get a point here. Thank you. So you told me to swing for the fences, man. Well, but so well, if you said Thielen and Diggs, which we have a listener prediction involving Thielen and Diggs this week too, we'll get to. But if I think if you put Rudolph in there, it's still a home run. Like you're saying that two out of those three guys are gonna be three, yeah. Okay. Dave, is that fair? Yeah, that's absolutely fair. Write this down. Write it down. You like writing things down. Okay. Write this down. Hockey Whisperer is going to strike again here. The Hockey Whisperer. The Hockey Whisperer. Not only will the Wild trade Charlie Coyle, they will also trade, how do I phrase this, a rotation defenseman. So, like, I want to say Brodeen or Spurgeon. I'll just say that. They'll trade they'll trade two of these four. I'm gonna go I'm gonna go two of these four this offseason. Coyle, Niederreiter, Niederreiter, over to Spurgeon. Spurgeon. Back to Brodeen. Back to Brodeen. He scores! <laughs> so Brodeen, Spurgeon, Coyle, they're gonna shake the roster up. They're sick of these early exits. The new GM's gonna come in. Coyle, Brodeen, Spurgeon, Niederreiter. Two of those four will be traded by the Minnesota Wild this offseason. Okay, so two of the four, it can be the two defensemen, it can be the two forwards, Correct. it doesn't matter? Yep, Any combination. Exactly. I All want right. my, my prediction is they're going to shake up the roster via trade, yeah. and they're going to pick among those sort of like, you know... Write it down, know, you like writing things down? The 25 to 28-year-old crew. Alright, All right. My, my Judd predictions have been terrible this year after a very successful 2017, but uh, once again, I feel confident in making a Judd prediction, so I'm going to do that. So confident... I'm going to text him immediately after I make this prediction wow. and see if it's already come true. Because wow. it's possible it already has, but I have no idea. So therefore, I think the prediction would stand. At some point this weekend, and Judd left yesterday for uh, Ames, Iowa, Iowa State, for the niece's graduation, he will eat at Hickory Park Restaurant in Ames, Iowa, because everyone who goes to Ames <laughs> eats at Hickory Park. Okay. I love that barbecue down there, by the way. Have you, been to the, have you been to Hickory oh, Park restaurants? Five times probably. Are there any, just in fairness here, like how many restaurants are we talking about? Is it one of ten? Oh, Ames. Is it, plenty. It's college town. There's tons of places. I, okay. I've, I've been to Ames just, not just for Hickory Park, but I always get Hickory Park. Just drive down there on the weekend just for Hickory it's, Park. It's turns around. Stuff. They've got some good barbecue. Just, I actually they think do. Hickory's a little overrated, um, oh, no, but I haven't been there for many, many years, so maybe I never ordered the right thing. I don't you, know. you do realize by sending that text, and he knows that this is write that down territory here, like... If you send that text and he hasn't gone there yet, that he's likely to not go there just out of fear. Like he has his radar up because he knows there's like ten Judd predictions going out at any given time. Worth it to possibly get a correct prediction a moment after I make the prediction. Okay, I've sent the text. Let's see if they <laughs> went there down, last night like or maybe for down? an early lunch today. All right. Write that down. I don't have a pencil. Well, remember that. All right, back back to Myron here. I believe yes. Uh, the Minnesota Vikings will not see another NFC title game under. Kirk Cousins. Wow. They will not get to the NFC title game with Kirk Cousins on the roster. That's awfully negative. I, I mean, you, pr- <laughs> prediction? It's a prediction. <laughs> I could be wrong. You know, this He's is, in Judd's I seat. found out about That's this game fair. eight minutes ago, man. This is, <laughs> come on. This is also uh, this is a prediction that could be on the board. Like, if he's the quarterback for eight years, it's possible that this prediction could outlast possible. It's likely, if not Assured that that prediction will outlast the Mackey and Judge show, right? <laughs> no, no. Like that'll still, still be on the board, but we'll, we can still keep this spreadsheet alive. Write that down. I, I don't have a pencil. Well, remember that. All right, I'm gonna. I'm, I have a Judge prediction as well here. I'm oh, gonna go, lovely. I'm gonna go a 1500ESPN.com uh, columnist Judd prediction. We will see a Judd column, some sort of a hammerhead Zolgad, you know, colon with my thoughts on something, and he will write 
some sort of a recommendation or a column about the Twins putting Brian Dozier on the trade block before June 1st. So he won't even let it play out until closer to the trade deadline. He will he will raise a red flag and blow the whistle on 1500ESPN.com saying the Twins need to shot Brian Dozier, and it'll happen in the month of May. It's brilliant nice. because you can steer the conversation in a show towards should the should the uh, Twins trade and Dozier, and then he's going to write about it. Guys, brilliant. I love the way you play this game. All right, here's some listener predictions for the week. Uh, we've got we've got four of them that are worthy of uh, of bringing to the air here. The dude has two predictions. Number one, despite the twin struggles of late, they will be above 500 at the All Star break. Write this down. That's 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 going to be a hot streak in the next two months if that happens. Uh, he also predicts the Vikings' first round pick Mike Hughes will have three combined touchdowns in his rookie season, including special teams. Write this down. Anders predicts reliever Josh Hader of the Brewers, who strikes out everybody will have more strikeouts for the Brewers this year than Phil Hughes will have innings pitched and strikeouts combined for the Twins this year. (laughs) (laughs) Bold. And uh, Brian predicts not only will Jake Wieneke play for the Vikings in 2018, he will have more receiving yards than Laquan Treadwell in the regular season. Write this down. So, Mackie and Judd at 1500ESPN.com if you want to stick your neck out and uh, go on the record. We got Meyer Metcalf in here. We're going to talk to Chris Singleton, talk about the Twins, and uh, go around. There's some interesting stories about a couple surefire Hall of Famers that we can talk about with him. That's in about 15 minutes. But Royce wrote a column about Miguel Sano that we should dive into when we come back here for a couple minutes. Metcalf in for Judd, Mackie, and Judd. Hang on. Mackie and Judd will return shortly. Hurry up. On 1500 ESPN. Mackie and Judd are back. Man, that sounds good. On 1500 ESPN. The 3-1. Swinging a long one to left field. This could be a game winner. It's going to go for a home run. Sox win. Sox win. And a two-out home run by Trace Thompson to left. Turn on the fireworks. Added to the list of ones that have been tough to swallow. You, know, you try to begin to uh, find a way to dig yourself out of the hole that we've created. Um, and you get a lead like that. You want to win those games, obviously. Uh, just let them hang around and uh, game the first run. We didn't catch the ball, and uh, you know Polka would make a mistake, and he makes his pay. Uh, yeah, we just we just didn't do enough. The Twins are ten and seventeen now, and uh, this series with the White Sox continues. It's there's nine games left on the road trip. They do play about forty percent of their remaining schedule against the three bottom-feeding teams in the uh, in the division, but they are one of the bottom-feeding teams yeah. as of right now because they're seven games under five hundred. I think they have a better team, but they haven't gotten going yet. Um, before I read you a couple excerpts from this Royce column on Miguel Sano, Royce was the one... And you worked with him at the Star Tribune, and so you oh, yeah. know, like, he'll spit some fire or he'll, he'll, he'll... He's a contrarian, so oftentimes, you know, he'll... He, well, not oftentimes. A lot of times he ruffles feathers with things he writes or whatever on the radio, same thing. And he ruffled a ton of feathers two and a half years ago when he was the first one after Miguel Sano's amazing rookie season to point out, and he wasn't just making this up, he's talking to other people, that Sano is immature, he's got some weight issues, he's not putting a lot of work in in the offseason, and people were like, dude, he hit, he hit almost 300 with yeah, leave him alone. a bunch of bombs, leave him alone. And as it turns out, like right. Sano's 25, and his weight has continued to go up. So... Before I read some of this Ricey column that he wrote yesterday about Sano, just your general thoughts on just kind of following. I know you're not covering the Twins on a daily basis or anything, but like 
when you heard about Miguel Sano a few years ago, and now that you sort of see him in his mid-20s and and now he's back on the disabled list, what are your general thoughts? I mean, a few years ago when he had that great rookie season, you thought next, like this guy's going to keep getting better. Uh, he's going to be one of the building blocks going forward. MVP candidate. I mean, just sure. everything was there. Um, but as you watched him pick up the weight, it, it and the weight's a big concern because he's so young. I mean, at that age, if you're picking up that kind of weight, that's just you not working. I mean, that's that's not like a, there's something going on. You, you're just out hanging out, enjoying the spoils of being a big league player as opposed to putting in the work. So uh, I think it's unfortunate that you have a guy who at this point seems like he can't get out of his own way. Mm-hmm. And it's a cliche, and we say this all the time, but you can't want more for someone than they want for themselves. And he really falls into that category, I think. Yeah, I'm I'm with you. I it's frustrating. He is he is fifth on the all time strikeout rate list, and the four, this is a hundred years of baseball or going back to 1920. And the four guys above him are pitcher hitters, like pitchers who had enough plate appearances to have generated a like a qualified average. And it's like Lefty Grove from you know back in the day. So if you take away pitchers who are terrible hitters, he is the most strikeout-prone hitter in the history of baseball. And now I get it. Strikeouts are more prominent now. I mean, Mike Trout strikes out a lot. So, yeah. it's, so it's strikeouts. Judge. I mean, all those guys. For sure. But Royce, wrote this. I'm going to give you like three or four paragraphs, and then we can discuss this. Uh, he, he referenced a blog by Parker Hageman from Twins Daily that was on StarTribune.com from three years ago, kind of breaking down Miguel Sano's mechanics. And the twenty the twenty two year old Miguel Sano was carrying his hands lower, had his had his head in great position, was under control, quick swing, no sign of pulling off the pitch to try and hit bombs to left field on a regular basis, and most dramatically, there were thirty pounds fewer of Miguel. Later on, Royce continues in the article. Uh, Miguel checked in this spring at two hundred ninety three pounds. He made it through twenty games before the hamstring strain that uh, has him back on the disabled list. He put strain in quotes, by the way. Hmm. He's batting 213 with five home runs, 14 RBIs, and 36 strikeouts and 80 at-bats, which is, if he played a full season, on pace to break the Major League strikeout record. A few days ago, I was in the camp demanding tough love for Sano. Send him out on a rehab assignment. Tell him he's staying in the minors until he stopped flailing at pitches, uh, both at home plate and at the dinner plate. (laughs) Then... I had a talk with someone who knows Miguel much better than us media types, and that person said, quote, tough love won't work. Miguel has to feel like you believe in him or you'll lose him completely. The twins have to encourage him, keep working with him, and hope that it clicks. It'd be a shame if that doesn't happen. There's so much ability there. Miguel loves baseball. He really does. I would have thought the same thing, and I said this yesterday. You get 21 days. If you put a guy in the minor leagues on a on a disabled list rehab stint, he can go down and he can face minor league pitching for 21 days. And I would have said, you know what? He sits on the shelf for like a week or two, nursing the hamstring or whatever it is, and then he goes and faces minor league pitching, and all the while he's eating salads and running on treadmills and yeah. losing 20 pounds in like a month. Um, but if this is true, if that's the type of guy that you're going to alienate by implementing the tough love approach, they might be stuck. I mean, it's it's a little bit like Wiggins in a different way in that, I was just thinking some, that some of it's like the organization has to find a way to connect. But another part of it is just waking up in the morning and wanting to be the best. You either have that or you don't. Yeah, and I don't, I don't know how you give that to a person. And 
I, I think you see it. I mean, where the comparison to Wiggins makes sense is these guys have natural gifts. I'm not saying they didn't work at what they have, but they just have something that nobody else had. They, they at you know, 13, 14, 15 years old probably had an edge that other peers didn't have. Just like, like a natural ability. Edge, yeah, right? yeah. So when you're snowing, you come in, you play that way right away. You know, after a short stint in the minors and you come in making that kind of an impact and everyone's praising you, what else matters? The way you're swinging, the way you're playing, you're good. I feel like some guys, because this is his fourth season in the big leagues, at least yeah. fourth partial season. I feel like some guys fall into that trap. They come in and it's really easy right away. Yep. And it's hard not to think, man, I thought this was going to be harder. Yep. And now that it's not as hard as I thought, maybe I'm just like way better than everybody else. <laughs> and then reality hits sophomore slump, the cliched sophomore slump. But that's kind of like that's kind of the wake up call where, oh, okay, nope, I was wrong. Definitely have to up my game. Everyone here is talented. I have to outwork them and be more talented. And it's like he hasn't gone through that that epiphany. I mean, Justin Morneau had to be taken in for a come to Jesus meeting. I mean, yeah. Tory Hunter tried to punch him in the face yeah. like ten years ago. Um, so I don't know if there's. I do feel like if a Tory Hunter was still in the clubhouse, because I know Dozier's a leader. I don't know if Dozier's that kind of a leader. And I'm not saying like someone needs to be punched. I'm just saying, yeah. is there a peer that Miguel Sano trusts and looks up to in the clubhouse? That can that can have that discussion with him and say, "Listen, dude, you're good, and if you just stay this way your entire career, like you'll still be a valuable player. But if you want to make, if you want, you can appeal financially to to a guy's ego. You want to make a hundred million dollars or twenty million dollars a year? It yeah. ain't going to happen on no. the path that you're on right now. No, and I I think you brought up a really good point. Um, at some point, young players, even the best, realize I have to outwork my competition. At what point does Snow have to outwork anybody? I mean, I mean, the guy had such natural ability early on that sometimes guys like that are never taught that they have to maintain that edge because it's just always been there. They've just always been one of the best. So I, I hope the switch, somebody helps him flip the switch because he can't sustain this, right? And there's just too much ability there to, to waste. And maybe Royce is right. Maybe it can't be tough love. But it's got to be a wake-up call even if it's not tough love because – He's not heading in the right direction. For sure. You can read the whole thing, uh, startribune.com. It, it was the featured piece on the sports section yesterday. I don't know. You, you'll find it. Go to the sports part of uh, startribune.com. Myron's hanging out with us. Myron Medcalf from ESPN. Judd's back on Monday. Chris Singleton joins for some talking twins when we come back. Please listen carefully. Mackie and Judd now continue. Let's go, people. Let's get it going. On 1500 ESPN. Mackie and Judd are talking twins now with former player turned ESPN baseball analyst Chris Singleton. All right, Mackie and Judd. Judd is out today, and uh, Chris Singleton is our weekly talking twins and talking baseball guest on Fridays. And let, let's just rip the bandit off here. 10 and 17, Chris Singleton. And uh, you need to give it to us straight. Are the Twins cooked? Are we already looking ahead to 2019 for the Minnesota Twins buried in the standings? No. I'm going to say definitive no. It's okay. a long season. And I know it's it's miserable right now. And the stretch that they've, uh, they've been on is uh, much less than expected. Um, but, you know, when you look at it, in the division, which no one seems, uh, I don't, I don't even know that Cleveland Indians, when they get going, really are, are going to run away with this division this year. Um, so with that said, yeah, I think there's going to be a, a, 
a pretty decent chance that the Twins, once they get things together, they get healthy, um, that they can make a run of it. But to be done, I would say no, even though you want to lean on what the last couple of weeks have been. But, uh, yeah, if they can hang in there, get healthy, things can turn. And, and you just, yeah, it's, a, it's a long baseball season, man, and a lot of, uh, a lot of good things can happen for them. They need Buxton back. I mean, this I'm being Captain Obvious here, but when I, I went and broke down some of the numbers, so Robbie Grossman has been playing a lot of right field because Max Kepler moves to center, and Byron Buxton, who might be the best defensive outfielder in the world, has been out for 16 games with migraines and then a broken toe in his foot. And if you trust some of the defensive metrics, and I'd love to get your thoughts on where you stand with some of this. It's not to be taken as gospel, but if you look at defensive runs saved or UZR per 150 games, the difference between Buxton in the outfield defensively and Grossman in the outfield defensively over a full season can be like 30 runs difference. And you're seeing that in some of these games where if Buxton were in the outfield in a one-run game, that ball that leaks over the glove of a Robbie Grossman gets caught by Max Kepler if he's in right because Buxton's in center. Or that ball in the gap that Buxton would have tracked down standing up, you know, it leaks for a double. And it might cost you a run here, and then two days later another run, and that leads to losses. So, I mean, I, I don't put full stock into defensive metrics because I think we have a long ways to go, but that's pretty telling difference when, when – and it might not be errors. It might not be something you can quantify, but it's definitely costing the Twins games, I think, Chris. Yeah, there are um, at times extremely special players that come along that make such a difference defensively and, and really, um, you know, looking at Byron Buxton. And I, I agree with you. I mean, he went healthy. He's quite possibly the best center fielder in the world. Um, that's how incredible um, his performance was last year. And what happens is when you start moving guys out of, you know, position, and now you've got you know Kepler playing center field. You've got Grossman out there and right. It it not only weakens you at one spot, it kind of weakens you you know at two spots, and really as an outfield group, it weakens you because now you have to make some you know types of compensation in terms of positioning because of balls that you can't get to and coverage and everything else. So it really does have a domino effect that you you can't always just measure in a number beyond that. But there's so many, there, there's so many uh, aspects of it when you look at even for, you know, pitchers. And, you know, when pitchers can, you know, after getting out, walk around the back of the mound and look out there and know they got a guy like Byron Buxton, just that little edge of confidence of, as well for them to, you know, attack the hitters the way they want to, knowing that, hey, man, I got some, I got wiggle room out there. I got a guy that's going to run down everything. So, um, yeah, it has an effect uh, without question, and just the whole continuity of the club. And, and then, you know, you, you flip it to the offensive side. I know it got off to a slow start, but still, you know, there's, there's a lot of upside there. And when you have ridiculous game-changing speed, you know, that, that there's a domino effect through the lineup. So, yeah, you know, they get healthy, and, you know, you also look at in the second half, you know, getting Polanco back, and, and hopefully you'll have a healthy Sano. Uh, I don't think it's over by any means. Yeah, Chris Singleton is with us here on Mackie and Judd. He's our weekly Friday guest. We talk twins. We talk baseball. Uh, you can find him on ESPN Radio, on ESPN platforms. So I think Ichiro and Pujols came into the league at the same time in 2001, one with a lot of fanfare, and then Pujols kind of snuck up and came out of nowhere and was immediately one of the five best hitters in baseball as a rookie. 
Uh, you were in the major leagues in the early 2000s. So what, what do you remember as a player when those guys broke in? Now, and just for people who may not have followed the news, Ichiro is uh, moving into a front office role now with the Mariners, and uh, Pujols is one hit shy of 3,000, and then we'll see where his career takes him from there. But what do you remember about those guys when they broke in the league, Chris? Well, I'll agree with your assessment there. I mean, there was a whole a whole lot more hype about Ichiro just because, you know, coming from Japan and what he'd done over there. A funny story is uh, my rookie year in baseball, not in the major leagues, but in baseball, they sent me to um, Maui for the uh, Hawaii Winter Baseball League and actually played against Ichiro uh, then and you know, didn't really realize, and obviously he was, you know, he was younger at the time. I mean, it looked like, well, this is a pretty, pretty neat looking hitter. Um, but I was young as well and trying to figure it out. So I had no idea. And then years later, you come up against him again in the major leagues. And this was a player that talked about you know, game changing speed and the ability, not just the speed, but the ability to handle the bat and do what it seemed like, whatever you wanted to do with the baseball. It was unreal. Like, he forced, I remember Ichiro forcing the shift against us, and it was a shift to whereas we had to bring our second baseman, like, kind of in close to the grass, because if he played in his normal position and Ichiro hit a ball on the ground, he was that fast yeah. that it was a base hit. You could forget about it. So you had to, you, you, he forced guys to, you know, uh, an unconventional shift in the infield just to take away that infield hit. Um, so just remarkable. I mean, in every facet of the game, defensively, incredible throwing arm, the ability out there, at, you know, the athleticism to go get the ball, to go up, rob home runs, bring it back. And then the pop that he had that most people don't realize he had. Like, there's a funny story about, you know, his first, uh, spring training there and, and Lou Pinella who loved homers. He wanted to see guys hit homers. I, I played for Lou in, in Tampa and man, you could hit home runs during batting practice and he would change the lineup and put you in the lineup. If, if you were hitting home runs, that's, he just loved them. And so he asked, uh, you know, Ichiro's interpreter, you know, can this guy hit any home runs? Cause batting practice, he was just, you know, hitting ground balls, the games, ground balls. Um, can he get the ball over the fence? And so one day in BP, Ichiro around decides, okay, I'll show him I can hit over the fence. And they said he was hitting towering home runs, and it just blew everyone away. So he had that ability, if he wanted to, to hit the ball over the fence more, but he understood his, he understood his game, and he stuck with it. And here we are, you know, 3,000-plus hits later, and, you know, everything, all the awards, the MVP, the Rookie of the Year, 10-time All-Star, yeah. and – uh He'll be heading into the Hall of Fame. So for me, I have a lot more because I was an outfielder and, and played against Ichiro a whole lot more. On the flip side, Albert Pujols coming in with St. Louis. And, yeah, he kind of was – he wasn't a hydraptic, any of those things. And it was just sort of an extra guy that was working his way into a lineup. And who knew that uh, this guy would be, you know, the perennial all-star and, you know, three-time MVP, you know, World Series champ, all those things uh, – so pretty remarkable, and to your point, I think they made their major league debuts on the first on the same day. Yeah, that's amazing. Which is pretty wild. Yeah, I mean, I, Albert Pujols is sort of the the Tom Brady of baseball in that he was. I mean, Brady was a sixth round draft pick. I I think Pujols was maybe a thirteenth rounder. He was not one of the first two or three hundred players selected in his draft. I always wonder how that happens. I mean, how how does a guy like that? And it wasn't. I mean, he came up when he was about twenty or twenty one. So it was a. It, he was a late round pick, but a quick riser through the minor leagues. There had to have been scouts and GMs looking at that in two thousand one, thinking, "How in the world did we not take this guy in like the third round?" 
Well, I think, you know, you you can look at a guy sometimes and what do they look at? Okay, what's his, you know, what kind of speed does he have? What, you know, and Albert, when you just first look at him, there's, it's not like these things jump out, you know, that, uh, I mean, you got to see, you really have to see him hit. It's kind of like uh, my old teammate, Paul Canerco, right? I mean, this guy was a really good player, but if you just look, went on a, on a regular day and you just saw sort of, an average performance, it may not have been real impressive, you know, unless you hit a couple of bombs and you're the foot speed, the, you know, agility, all those things, it's not going to jump out at you. And I think with Albert, even, you know, when he was younger and I can't, you know, say this 100%, but I think there were probably issues, you know, with body type. They're wondering, okay, how's his body going to be? You know, because he's one of those guys that became a pro and obviously uh, put more attention into his, you know, eating and diet and exercise to be, you know, more fit. And But I, I don't know that, you know, he was uh, eye-catching, you know, as a physical specimen either. So those are things that can cause a, a guy to slide. I remember, you know, my old teammate Mark Burley who – I mean, Burley was like, I don't know, a 30th round draft pick is crazy. <laughs> and when you look at how great of a career he had, it, it's pretty remarkable. Um, so it has happened, you know, from, from time to time that you get this player picked after the 10th round, maybe, you know, after the 15th round, um, and they become somewhat of a household name and, and you know, potential or at least a guy that's going to get Hall of Fame votes. Yeah. Chris, you mentioned earlier here about five minutes ago, uh, you, you played for Lou Pinella in Tampa near the end of your career. I've heard yeah. some, I, I did a podcast a couple of years ago called Harbaugh Society, and Willie Bloomquist was one of my guests. It's just kind of baseball stories. And he told a great story about his first ever encounter with Lou Pinella. This must have been early Mariners days for him, so maybe late 90s or whenever it was. And how as a minor leaguer, uh, he was playing middle infield. I can't remember if it was shortstop or second base, and it was a key moment late in the game. Might have even been a spring training game where the outcome isn't that important, but the runner didn't slide into second base. And as Willie had learned growing up playing baseball, that means you throw the ball into his helmet. If he's not going to get down, you throw the ball into his helmet. Ball ricochets off his helmet uh, into the outfield. The run scores. They lose the game. He comes back in the dugout, and Lou Pinella challenges him and says, why'd you do that? And Willie said, uh, that's 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 how I learned to play the game. If he doesn't get down, you throw it right into his helmet. And he was waiting for the backlash, and Lou Pinella said, you're damn right. And he looked at the rest of the, the guys in the clubhouse or in the dugout and said, that is exactly how you play the game. I don't care that we lost. This guy plays the game the right way. But like his presence scared the crap out of everybody in the dugout and a young Willie Bloomquist. Do you have any stories like that, any Lou Pinella, like legendary Lou Pinella encounters or stories? Oh man, you, I, I love playing for Lou because I like that edge. But in Tampa, here's what was bad in Tampa: was the manager's office was at one side of the clubhouse, and the dining room was like essentially at the other side in a direct line from his office. So he had to come out of the office, walk past directly past a row of pitchers i mean you're talking like six pitchers lockers before he got to the dining room and these kids these pitchers not even kids some of them younger some of them with some experience were terrified i mean guys would we had a great we had probably the best clubhouse manager in baseball we had a great clubhouse great food and everything else and these guys would after the game they would shower so quickly and get dressed and leave the clubhouse for fear of Lou 
wandering out of his office to the food room, <laughs> and you never knew what was going to happen. You never knew what he was going to say to a guy, and it it could come off uh, pretty harsh. We were I remember in spring training one year, and this guy uh, Dominic Brown, and he was just struggling, you know, to, to to hit. He was supposed to be a guy with some pop, and you know, be able to do some things at the plate. And he was trying to make a team, and we're sitting in the dugout uh, getting ready to play the Red Sox, and. Uh, you know, Lou comes in, and, you know, we're just kind of hanging around, and, you know, nothing's stirring yet. And uh, he starts off into the story, and his accent, he's kind of like, you know, I was watching TV last night, and this commercial, UPS, and says, what can Brown do for you? And, you know, and I thought about it. What can Brown do for me? And and uh, it was just a really awkward moment because, you know, the guy was trying to make the team, and you didn't really know Lou, and but it was just Lou, man. And, and uh, he scared a lot of people, and he intimidated a lot of people. But fortunately, he liked me, and, and I liked him, and, and I wasn't intimidated by his style. I kind of embraced it. But uh, to this day, when I see him, man, I'll, I'll embrace him because uh, I enjoyed my time with him, no doubt. Right on, man. Chris Singleton, great stuff. We'll catch up next week. All right. Thanks, Mac. See you, man. All right. Chris Singleton from ESPN Radio, Mackie and Judd. Myron Metcalf coming back in next. Phil Mackie. The thing about Phil is he's he's so temptable. He likes to go the thrill route. That's what makes Phil exciting. Judd Zolgad. Judd, have you wandered away from the house again? Mackie and Judd on 1500 ESPN. Want to run a race but don't want to train for it? The Medtronic TC One Mile, that is the race for you. Thursday, May 10th, runners of all skill levels will run along the riverfront downtown Minneapolis for this fast and fun race. It ends with the J.P. Morgan Chasing Company post-race party complete with food trucks, cash bar, and a live DJ. Head to 1500ESPN.com, keyword events for more details. Thank you, David. Let's bring Myron back in. Myron Medcalf from ESPN. You can find his radio show on Saturday mornings. Uh, you can find his written work on ESPN.com. A lot of college basketball stuff during the season. We'll get to some questions with Dave in about 10 minutes. Uh, game show Friday, we're giving away, let me find the list of prizes here we're going to give away in the noon hour. Uh, we have a foursome to Baker National. We've got a pair of tickets to Northern Invasion. And we also have a Minnesota United prize pack. But just back to baseball for a second here. I brought up ultimate zone rating and defensive runs saved with Chris Singleton in our discussion about Byron Buxton and value of you know defensive players. And then... I got thinking, too, about players and offensive makeup and how the 300 hitter is not extinct. Like, there's going to be 300 hitters. There's going to be yeah. guys who bat 300, and, like, Jose Altuve is going to hit 300. But if you look at the last 15 or 20 years, Myron, we have, I'm not counting this year yet because it's too small of a sample size. It's only April. In 2001, we had 46 300 hitters or better. That number went down to the high 30s about six years later. And last year, it's cut almost in half to only 25, 300 hitters. And I th- I don't think it's because, like, run scoring is still about the same. Yeah. It's just a shift in the way that hitters approach. Like, hitters aren't thinking, I got to hit 300. Yeah. And front offices aren't telling hitters, hey, you got to, we need you to hit for a higher batting average. That's the standard. They're saying, we need you to get on base. And if that means drawing a walk, that's fine. And we need you to hit for more power. Yep. We want volume. It's like an, in basketball, like, okay, what's your shooting percentage? I'd rather look at effective field goal percentage because I want to know, are you making three-pointers? So I almost feel like we grew up, and you and I are younger, but especially for fans who are older generations, and the 300 hitter was like the benchmark. 
And I don't even think hitters or front offices talk about that anymore. No, I, I don't. And, you know, when we were talking yesterday, it, in a way, it's it's almost like the thousand-yard running back. I mean, we just measure people differently. Because we took have you more three tools. and a half yards of carry to get there, exactly, like it's not valuable. Exactly. But it was a thing back in the day. You know? I was yeah. like, wow, a thousand yards. That was the standard. If you had a thousand yard back, uh, it didn't matter how they got the yards or what they averaged, a thousand yards was a thousand yards. And the 300 hitter has kind of been that way as well. You hit 300, you're a great player. But there are just so many ways to measure talent these days. And like the analytics era has just shifted how we view every element of the game. And I think that's a great thing, man. Like, I think that's a really good thing because it changes players in terms of what they realize they have to be efficient in. It changes, you know, front offices because you look at a guy who might be hitting 270 or 260 and you see he has all these other gifts and tools and you realize what he can be and how he can impact your team. Whereas 20 years ago, all that guy shooting for is 300, you know? And I think at the end of the day, the way we measure excellence has changed, and that's good because it's harder to kind of dupe the system, if you will, uh, and be a. It's hard to be a one-dimensional player today. Yeah, it is going to be weird though when, in like ten years from now, you go to buy if baseball and basketball cards even exist in ten years. Like yeah. I don't know, maybe there's going to be like an app. Is, it, is there like a Tops app that you can just download a Mike Trout card and then you can just show people on your phone? But you're going to have, and then you put your phone in the in the spokes of your bike instead Probably. of the car. I don't know. Yeah. But you're going to look at the back of a baseball card or the back of a basketball card, and instead of field goal percentage, it's going to say like true shooting true percentage. percentage. Yeah. Or in baseball, instead of you know, instead of batting average and RBIs, it'll say like weighted on base exactly. average, and I don't know, or or ultimate zone rating. So I think people are going to look at the back of a baseball card in ten years and cards from a long time ago and say. Hmm, that's interesting. Like they still measure wins and losses for relievers back in the day. Like no one cares about that in front offices anymore. Well, and I and I think they will dissect our chi- some of our childhood heroes who might look great right now, but under further scrutiny, like under sort of the analytics models, may not be as good as we thought they were. Well, actually, Alan, I we talked about Alan Iverson yeah. early in the show. He don't get me wrong; like he's still a Hall of Fame talent, and yeah. like for that era, he, Alan Iverson's a Hall of Fame. Great. But Allen Iverson was one of the most inefficient offensive yes. players, but he got away with it because teams and the league didn't try to maximize offensive efficiency. Didn't care. The volume scorer and the one-on-one offense, that was all part of the game. But now that teams are ratcheting up ball movement and ratcheting up spacing and just and just building these like hyper three-point centric offenses, Allen Iverson playing 45 <laughs> minutes, dog tired in the fourth quarter, and just jacking up 30 shots a night and shooting 38% just to get to his 30 points. Like that would, that team would not win no, in 2018. It's not going to fly. I mean, I think that's why Kobe is out of the, you know, greatest of all time conversation because he doesn't fit. He is more of a volume shooter, wasn't as efficient. Brett Favre, like, what do you do with him? When he retired, I think there were a lot of people who thought maybe the greatest quarterback of all time, right? It only took a few years before like some of the advanced stats took over and you start going, wait a minute, the efficiency stuff with this guy doesn't add up. And then you have an Aaron Rodgers and a Brady and some of these guys who have just put up these ridiculous ridiculous efficiency marks. Yeah. And they're graded above 
a guy who retired not that long ago as maybe the greatest of all time. Right. Well, with Rodgers and Brady, you get the same touchdown and big play upside as Brett Favre without yes. all the risk, right? Exactly. Like they've eliminated, they don't throw 10 interceptions. So they've yep. eliminated all the risk. Brett Favre gave you all the excitement, but then mixed into that was 18 interceptions or 22 yeah. interceptions. The flaw of our generation in any sport, baseball, football, basketball, you name it, is that we judge entertainment over everything. Entertainment was king. We didn't care how many shots it took. We didn't care how many strikeouts you had. Dude, you hit one home run. I don't care what type of strikeouts you had. And ultimately, like, sports are entertainment first and foremost. So I don't ever want to get to the point where, oh, like, this guy's inefficient, so we shouldn't celebrate him. You know what? We should celebrate the Brett Favre's, and we should celebrate the Allen Iversons for what they were, or the Kobe Bryant's for for what he was, for sure. But I didn't care how many strikeouts McGuire and Sammy Sosa had when they were going back and forth, you know, trying to break the record. Like, I... I just cared that every time they were up, there was a chance at a home run. All the other numbers meant nothing. In today's era, every single thing they did would have been scrutinized. Yeah. You know, you look at Aaron Judge, power hitters, so much power. Like, how will he be viewed a decade from now with all these strikeouts? It's just interesting how things have changed, I think, in 20 years or so. Uh, yeah, Giancarlo Stanton getting booed in like his <laughs> yes. first at bat at Yankee Stadium. Uh, Myron's hanging out with us from ESPN. Dave, what kind of questions are you going to lob our way next? I've got a question about rules in sports that stink, and we'll celebrate Cinco de Mayo a day early.